Hello, and welcome back to Pathways with me, your host, Todd Allen Baker. And I'd like to welcome everyone back for this week's podcast. Um, we have a great friend of mine on today. Actually, I just saw him for the first time in like 23 years. He stopped by about a month ago, um, just on a random drive, and called me up and said, hey, can I come see you? So it was a nice little surprise. Uh, I met his name is Drew Starling. I met Drew um, in 1997 when we were doing the national tour of Damn Yankees. Um, we had a great time together. He's always been a great friend and we've always stayed in contact. He's done national tours, Broadway, stage, screen, and multiple other things. Uh, so we're just going to have Drew on here today and have him tell us his story. So welcome, Drew. Good morning. Thanks Good for having morning. Me. Good well, to see thank you again. You. Good to see you again. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's weird that we get to see after twenty three years we get to do this twice. So you know that's it's great. It's gonna be a habit before we know it. I know we'll we'll just be back together. Yeah, that's right. the the duo that we were on on the bus. On the bus, yes. <laughs> our our days of travel on the bus, which sometime we should get into about tour life. Maybe we'll get into that today. For sure. Um, yeah. So how did you get started in this whole industry and what was your first, you know, moment that you thought you could do this? Um, so yeah, growing, I grew up uh, in Lawrence, Kansas, which is a little, uh, about 30, 40 miles outside of Kansas city. It's where the university of Kansas is, um, a, a pretty well, well-balanced Midwestern town, um, Everybody kind of played sports. Everybody liked singing. Everybody liked music. There seemed to be a relatively, relatively well-rounded uh, opportunities. So, you know, like all the cool kids really wanted to be in choir as much as they wanted to be playing basketball or football or running track, whatever. So, I, and, and I always liked music. Um, my parents uh, split up when I was, when I was young, but my relationship with my dad came through music. He would send me tapes because that's how old I am. He used to listen to audio tapes. Um, and that's where I sort of fell in love with music. So I always like to sing. And then uh, in the ninth grade, uh, right before the summer of ninth grade, this, this musical theater company for children out of Wichita came through Lawrence promoting their summer camp called Seven Days of Broadway. And they were doing Grease, the musical, and I loved the, the movie, and I watched their presentation, and a buddy of mine from Lawrence and I signed up to go do camp that summer, which was a really ingenious uh, situation um, where you know what the show is, they take X number of, of campers, you go and audition on a Sunday, they cast that night, it's a sleepaway camp, and then- Sort of like a kid's summer stock. Yeah, for sure. Like in, in within four or five days, they've taught the whole show and then you put on a full production at the end of the week. So really intense and really great. So I went, that was my very first experience. And were you Sandy? I was, I was Sandra D. Um, <laughs> or Rizzo. Style, right? Yeah. A little, a little more Riz, a little more Riz. I think you're a little bit more Rizzo. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I got cast as Danny. And um from then on, honestly, it just was, it was like, this is great. Uh, there's, there felt even, even that young, there felt to be a pretty um, nurturing amount, amount of support and, and contact with, with other kids. And um, it was just a lot of fun and it was hard. Uh, it, it was a little scary. It was something that I really hadn't done before. I'd been in front of people, but not in that capacity. And something that was the bug and I caught it and I just sort of went with it from there. I love how we always call it the bug. You're the first yeah, person well, that has said it. Yeah. We catch the theater. Sure, bug. It's a sickness for sure. Don't, don't right. kid. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> and so what was your training on from there? What steps did you naturally progress on from? Um, from then I, I sought out uh, some vocal coaches just to try to improve the singing aspect because singing with the group is one thing singing by yourself obviously is another. Um, and then I eventually got to high school. I think that that's how that progressed. And I was 
absolutely fortunate along with uh, the other kids that, that chose theater path at my high school to have this amazing theater teacher named Jeannie Averill. And she was overly, not overly, she was uber passionate. She introduced Stanislavski, Uta Hagen, the likes, and we kind of went step through step, step by step through the books, doing the exercises. There was a lot of freedom. There was a lot of support. And honestly, I went to the largest high school in the state. So there were a lot of kids at different levels with different uh, experiences, bringing, bringing things to the rehearsal process or to class. And so that was sort of my nurturing moment from the acting side. Mm -hmm. And then I, I ended up at KU for a couple of years and I'm not exactly sure how, I'm not exactly sure why I didn't try to branch off right out of high school, but I ended up at KU for a couple of years. I was a theater and film major and I took some of the courses, but because I was at KU at a state school, I also had to take your, you know, your English, your biology, uh, your, your, your core classes. It was a very, very large school, about 25, 20,000 kids at the time. And I don't know, just didn't feel quite honed in enough, quite, quite nurturing enough for me. And I ended up auditioning for a small conservatory in New York, uh, American Musical and Dramatic Academy. And I got into the music theater program there. And so I, right at the beginning of my junior year at KU, I hiked myself up to New York about three days before my 21st birthday. And I started classes and it was conservatory. So all your dance, all your speech, all your acting, uh, all your musical theater and all your voice coaching that you could you could muster and i got the terminology for dance which i didn't have i was i was always pretty athletic and and could move at the time uh, but i did i definitely didn't have the terminology i didn't have any sort of technique whatsoever so i got i got spoon fed that and can and you go into more about what amda is um i know a lot of people um don't know what a tremendous program and how much talent that they actually pump out into the industry. I mean, if you go to a Broadway tour, if you see something on Broadway, there is always AMDA graduates there. And so they have like this prestigious program that they just pump out these kids. And I don't think people actually really know what the conservatory or what the process is inside of that differing from a college theater program. Right. Um, and uh, I mean, it's a, it's a two, it's a four semester, or at least at the time that I was there, I think it has grown considerably. They've moved campuses um, since I was there, but it is a four semester program uh, that has either a musical theater side or a dramatic side. Uh, I took the musical theater track and so, like I said, I would get, um, you'd get placed into your level of dance class and they'd give you ballet, tap, group, jazz. Uh, you'd have, they'd assign you a, a voice, a voice coach. So you'd have private voice uh, at least once a week, uh, speech classes. So you could speak properly and then potentially start to learn some dialects. You'd have a straight acting class. You'd have a musical theater class. So it kind of it gave you that that nice well-rounded approach. Um, the music theater class really helped out, helped you identify your type, and then mm -hmm. also moments where they would put you against your type, so you could you could figure out how to play, you know, both or multiple sides of yourself. Uh, there was some music theater history in there, so you kind of understood the timeline of where we came from, where we are, potentially where we're going, seeing the progression. Um, yeah, but it's, it, it really, I would say it's more like a fast track. So you're skipping the yeah, academics, definitely, definitely no academics. Um, and then you're just going, you're taking the fast pass into right. the career. You're just totally immersed in a program of the arts, opposed to going to biology or going to psychology right. You're studying. You're definitely, you want to be. A, yeah, you're, you're definitely put in a position to be a performer. 
Um, and it's also the, the lovely thing was the majority of, of the instructors that I had were working in and out of the industry at the time or had already done it and were sort of in family mode and were settling in. But the key point was I was in New York city, you know, like mm-hmm. the hub where everything was happening. The, the accessibility was literally right out the door. And if anything, that was the biggest platform and catapult for me, uh, Midwestern Kansas kid. And from there, after you graduated from AMDA, what was your next gig? Did you land a gig straight out of um, conservatory or did you have to like really beat the pavement as they would say on the auditions to land that first gig or was it just easy for you? All right. So here's mine's a little weird. Um, and this will tie you and I together. Um, I'm not even sure if you know this. So at the very, the, the final semester of AMDA, it's all about performance. And so they're doing showcases and they're bringing in uh, industry agents, producers, et cetera, to, to see the, the, the upcoming graduates. And they, they break the semester into qu- quarters and you either do a cabaret the first quarter and then a musical theater performance or vice versa. So I did my musical theater performance first, and then I was supposed to go into cabaret classes and set up a cabaret because, as you know, a lot of our peers will make their rent money on the side or their their artistic release on the side when they're not doing a regular show by putting a cabaret together. Um, but as I was leaving a class one evening, one of one of the dance instructors was talking to their class and I just happened to hear, she was like, yeah, so give me your resume because they're really looking for these three, these two or three characters. And I popped my head in because I knew the instructor. And I said, I'm sorry, what, what's going on? And she informed me that the academic side of musical theater program down at, at NYU was doing carousel. And the person that they had lined up to play the role of Jigger booked a, a, a tour or or a gig and they were kind of scrambling at the last minute um, to find somebody. And I was like, oh, cool. So I threw my, my headshot into the mix and ended up down at an audition for Greg Ganakis. Yeah, uh, yeah our right? director. Our director. So, How did I forget that name? Yeah, okay. Right? So, so I went down and I booked Jigger uh, at NYU and I went and talked to my my academic, uh, my AMDA administration people. And I said, look, I know I'm supposed to do this cabaret situation, but I just got this really cool opportunity. And it's in an educational institute. Can we count this as my credit so I can, you know, graduate? Right. We agreed. There was, there was an agreement made. And I ended up down at NYU for, I can't remember what it was. It was like a month and a half or two for rehearsals and production. And I basically got to be an NYU student with all the fun and not paying the cost. And I got to do this amazing show, met met some spectacular people. And through Greg, I mean, you know, the draw that NYU is going to pull in. So I'm meeting like Manny Eisenberg and like all these crazy people that are coming to see the high end, high end NYU kids. Um, and I got some really cool auditions and opportunities out of that. But so I did that for whatever that was a month, month and a half. And then one of my first auditions after I was hitting the streets was the damn Yankees tour. And lo and behold, who's, who's directing it, but Greg Kanakis. And so, you know, it's, 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 as I'm sure you've talked about on, on previous episodes or will, or we might today, it's as much of a, a business as it is an art form when you're on in the New York and LA and London levels and stuff like that. So when you it's know reputation people, matters, you know, if you, and uh, right. we have discussed that it, reputation matters. And, you know, if you're known and you've worked for a director and you've done a great job, then yeah, you still have to audition, but you know, if they know you and they know your work, then it just makes it easier. So yeah, it all yeah, ties so in. Was- so there's there's my elongated story of how I got my first gig, professional gig, but yeah. Oh, and a, yeah. Nice transition, a nice transition out of the educational ed side into the now the next the next phase, right? The 
where we are in the current world of being a professional sometimes. And then I, I think I know, but I don't really know all the ins and outs of what you did. I remember seeing you a couple of times in New York when I'd be up there, but where was your progression on after we did tour together? So mine was kind of nutty. Um, funny enough, I just told the story the other night, so it's fresh in my mind. Um, so back in the day, after we got off the tour, you know, you get back to New York and you kind of find your place to live and you settle right. in. What do you do? You you hit the streets and you're picking up, at the time, the tangible, get your your fingers the inky by picking up backstage and looking to see what auditions are out on any given day or week. And you kind of set up your your life based on what's out there. And the one thing I can't remember is the name of the, it was a soap opera and they were having an open call for a contract role. And I was like, oh, and you know, it was 18 to 25, 5, 10, to, it was essentially, you know, me. And so I went, oh, great. I'll go in. This, this sounds great. And the call was at nine or 10 in the morning. And I figured, oh, I should probably get there early. This is, this is going to be pretty big. And I did, I got there at like seven or seven thirty in the morning and it was February. It was freezing cold. It was right off of the, it was like a 10th Avenue close to the Hudson. You could just feel the wind whipping through. And there is this, I got there, I was number six or seven in line. And by the time eight o'clock came around, that thing was around the, the block. And the funniest thing was nobody had a hat on because all the guys wanted to have their hair perfect. Right. You know, like you didn't, you didn't want to mess it up. And it took them an hour and a half before they let us into the lobby. We're freezing. And we finally get in the lobby, turn at 10 o'clock. We get upstairs. We're all in the same line. They start calling people one in, in one at a time. And I went in and sat down with uh, both the casting director and the assistant casting director. And just like the Greg Ganakis thing, um, she looked at my resume and she saw a credit that I had. Um, the way that I got my SAG card was through a friend who was on a TV show in LA and I went out to visit and he put me and my, at the time, girlfriend on as, as extras just to fill time, make a small amount of money and also get our SAG cards. And the casting director looked down and she goes, oh, you know, you know, uh, Michael Rosenbaum. And I was like, yeah, I know him this way, that way. He's the one that could put us on the show. Wait, us. Michael Rosenbaum from Smallville. Yeah. No way. So Julie. Okay. Well, yeah, because to, he's from, school. he's from Indiana. Right. So he went to, so Julie went to school with him and then we went out to visit and then that's how that all went down. Right. So no way. I right. love that. Here we go. Again, you and I together. Okay. All right. Some, All right. And some Kevin Bacon anyway. Um, it is, yeah. We've discussed this many a times too. Six degrees of separation in, right. this, in this business, right? And so she so she looks, she's like, oh, I, I cast him. You know, the casting director goes, oh, I know Michael. I cast him on this. So immediately we have this rapport. And then the associate, their assistant casting director looks down and goes, oh, you went to KU? And I go, yeah. He goes, oh, I'm, I, I'm from blah, blah, blah. I went to K-State. So now I'm in this room with these people where I'm a little bit nervous, but I've got they're they're trying they're looking for somebody, whether it's me or the next guy or whatever. But now all of a sudden I'm comfortable. And so we just start talking. Everything's great. They they like my my look, they like my resume. We do a quick little read, they like me. They're like, we'll 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 do a callback in a couple of days. So I did I came back for a callback. They immediately took me from their office into an executive producer's office. I read with her. She goes, awesome. Um, you're going to do a screen test. And I'm going, great. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, what does that mean? I have no idea what's going on. I'm so green, you know, whatever. And I go back into the casting director's office. She goes, oh my God, this is huge. This is great. Um, you're gonna, do you have an agent? No. She goes, you have to have an agent and a deal set up before you can do a screen test. So the casting director sends me to an agent. This is good information for our listeners. This is good. Right. Yes. So, because, uh, you know, if you if you book, if you go into a, a screen test and then you book something, you're, the executive producers are not going to negotiate with you. They're, 
the deal is going to be set up before you walk in the room is is sort of is that's the, the end game of this segment right so she sends me off to this agent who is super excited they're like oh this is great you already have the screen test um and and i can use this information to send you out to other casting directors so at the end of the day she they they start sending me out on other auditions while i'm waiting the handful of days for this screen test to pop up and i go out on a few and i get a few callbacks and on the day of my screen test i had a final callback for an off-broadway straight play and it was perfectly set up space space wise that i could hit this callback and go to this uh screen test. And this goes back to another point. I'm going to interrupt for a second. As you're doing this, and we've made this point over and over, and I always want to make this, you know, attention to detail to auditioning and what that means in our industry. Every person that's been on has mentioned that. And you're like waiting for other stuff and you are auditioning. You're like auditioning machine within like four days, you're, you're still going on auditions. It's like, you don't put all your eggs in one basket. You just keep going. It's a numbers game for sure. Yeah. You know? All right, go ahead. Um, so I go to this callback and as they can, it's running a little late, no pressure. I, I got time cross town. I got to get to, but no, no big deal. And it keeps running late and it keeps running late and it keeps running late. And I'm like, I'm literally up against it. And I'm like, okay, it's an, at this time, I'm too young to understand it's a numbers game, but I'm also going, you know, I, I kind of feel the screen test outweighs the, the other contract. Mm-hmm. And I had just approached the casting director and I, I go, look, I, and again, I'm, I'm young. Like I didn't really know that, that I have the right to kind of ask for myself to see if they would accommodate you, not to be rude, just to be like, look, I was on time. You guys are running late. I understand. But at the same time, I've got to be someplace or, you know, whatever life. And so, yeah, I said, look, I've got, I've got a screen test literally in whatever it was, 40 minutes and I've got to get across town. Either I got to go or I got to go in. I've got to go in right now or I've got to leave. And the casting director, of course, is like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Give me one moment. Let me just do a quick little jostle of humans. And I went in for my final callback. And fortunately enough, the, the role that I went in for was a person who was completely unsure of where they were and kind of wanted to get out of out of the room. So I laid down my audition. I was like, okay, thank you very much. And I ran out the door and I hopped in the cab and I went across town and I walked into, I'm pretty sure it was ABC, um, <clears throat> into the screen test to a room of six other dudes with that were 5'10 to 6 foot with brown hair and light eyes. And we were all wearing the exact same blue collared button down <laughs> shirt that was perfect. For, like it was just carbon copies of of, of everybody, right? And went through the screen test. Um, I did not book it, but I did book the uh, off-Broadway show. And what was that show? It's called Snake Bit, uh, one word. And it was, an, um, it actually had a very long run for an off-Broadway straight play. It was, I think we ended up at just shy of a year. And and it's a, it's a lovely, hilarious kind of dark comedy um, uh, centering around this this trio of friends with a an unexpected fourth that pops in me in the second half um, that kind of throws an extra monkey wrench into all the plans that were already fumbling. And the only reason that it didn't probably make more waves is it was running at the exact same time that Wit was running mm-hmm. and um, Bat Boy. And like there was a t- at the moment, the the off Broadway world was erupting with these spec. I mean, really, really spectacular and borderline commercial success 
things. And so as a lot of off-Broadway stuff that's brilliant can and has tended to in the past, it 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 survived, but it, it just didn't explode. But I do see a lot of people using monologues from this piece uh, in the last handful of years. So obviously it was a very well-constructed and written piece. But you have had your moment on film now and in front of the camera, correct? I have. I, I was, again, New York at the time that I was there, there was still the dream. I never I never got it, but there was still uh, pilot season and you would get flown out back and forth. Again, that, that never happened for me. But at the time that I was doing the New York scene, I mean, you were just getting thrown into every room that would take you from Broadway to and straight plays and off Broadway to uh, television series to soap operas to films. It was great, and I, I did manage to book a handful of day player role, uh, day day player roles on on the other soaps that were in New York. And can uh, you tell us the difference between the theater aspect and the soap opera TV aspect? Like briefly, like what is the difference and how do you have to adjust to that? I mean, I think the thing that's really cool From about- stage to screen yeah, per se. The thing se. I love about theater is depending on how long your rehearsal process is, like that's the- that's where it gets fun. You learn the material and then you get to play. You mm -hmm. get to play with these new friends and and, and you get to you discover. You get to create. Create and things like that. Uh, the soap opera world is, here's, you know, here it is today and you're going to get the exact same idea tomorrow, but it's going to be a completely different script and you've got to be ready to do it. And about, you got about two or three options or takes maybe. And even if it's not right, that's what's going to be taken. That's what's going to be laid down. So you're, you're cranking out material, um, which means you you better be pretty good at making some choices and also listening to your fellow actors so that your choices don't combat what they're, what they're doing. Um, but it's, it's really amazing. The machines that they are that have been going on for, I don't know how long have soap operas been on 80 years more. Yeah. Something like that started with radio. Yeah. So, I mean, we're still going. So how many are on anymore. They're all on streaming surfaces, you know, right, right. anymore. They're not really prime time. They've all went to streaming, but yeah. Yeah. So that, that was kind of like that, that world's interesting to step into and watch where you're going, Oh, there's no rehearsal. We're just going to do two takes and then we're going to move on to the next scene. No character development, really. That's behind the scene. You just like well, shoot the scene yeah. and go. Right. And obviously the character development, tends to come from whoever's writing they're, right. they're making, they're it's making given things. to you yeah so then you've got to take it and go okay well how does this live in my body or my voice uh how can i justify these actions or decisions things of that nature so yeah again another really good muscle twitch to develop from an acting standpoint um and then you've got your variety show stuff. So I did a couple of Conan O'Brien's, which again, it's written for you. It's really about the writers. You got to stand and deliver a little improv in there, uh, which is always a fun, a fun thing to try to get into and, 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 and do your best on. And then I was fortunate enough, a, a hand, a couple, uh, it's been about four years ago now to do a feature length film. And that's a whole other animal that's, that's sitting around, talking with your with your castmates maybe hopefully and going in and shooting like these little tiny you know 10 and 15 maybe maybe minute long segments of are one you gonna scene. plug that film are you gonna plug that film no it's okay right. <laughs> <laughs> um no I was actually very proud of of what I did in it considering it was the first feature that I had been in. I was waiting for the plug and it wasn't yeah, coming. So I was like, right. let me like throw out the the hook yeah. there. Right. Um, and from there, did you, when, when did you do Footloose? Like you're the opening cast for Footloose on Broadway, correct? Well, I was the, I was uh, the replacement for, um, oh, good, Chuck Cranston. Uh, so there was the original, which was Billy Hartung. So you're the bad boy. He's, he's the dude on, on the CD that you hear. And then I stepped in for Billy for, 
a handful of months while he went off to do another project and then he came back to the show so technically on broadway there was just billy and i that that held that role although i know a couple of other of the fantastic swings um and covers played the role as well but yeah so like i did that and how was that being in like a brand new production like i know people transition and we've had people that have been and different things, but how is that when you're in an opening original production going in? Spectacular. I mean, Broadway was like nothing I had ever, I couldn't have, I couldn't even imagine. You know, I've seen the, sh I've seen shows that the production value is through the roof, right? Everybody's is fantastic, but to be that close to the energy of every single person every night giving everything they've got. I mean, you have fantastic music. I mean, you have the yeah. energy. I've yeah. seen the show. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's a well-loved and the audience is going to have fun. So when the audience, it's like Mamma Mia, it's kind of like, yeah. if you know the music, I mean, the audience is really giving back in that show. Yeah. Everybody's having a good time. Everybody's having a great time with 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 it it's it's upbeat there's some definite if you really get cerebral about it there's a lot of layers to footloose you've mm -hmm. got you got daddy issues you've got abandonment issue there's a lot of issues um and but the thing that was about that was amazing to me about broadway was not only was everybody else around me killing it night in and night out the, the the professionalism and the talent level of the stagehands and the costume and the sound and the hair and makeup and and we and haven't had those people on yet because we're still fresh and they're on the list to have on so it's great that you're giving them props because oh, i don't think people realize how much goes on behind the scenes on those shows and it's and not like just I mean, they're like the unsung heroes, right? Right. And it's not just it's not just the the labor work that they put in, the artistic effort that is produced. I mean, if you go into a costume shop with people that know what they're doing, it is so intricate, so well researched, and oftentimes so beautifully uh, replicated or produced. It's like it's almost like a, a a tangible museum, you know, depending on what show you're, you're you're talking about. So, for me as an actor, having that type of support of professionalism around you, I didn't know like how freeing it could be to go. Wait, all I've got to do is perform. I don't have to think about anything else, and not to be pampered, but literally like people that were so cons they weren't concerned about me. They were concerned about their microphone, so they're not even allowing me to touch my face, to wipe my face of sweat. Somebody else is, you know, wiping my forehead. And again, not to be pampered, it was like, no, 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 that's my microphone. You're just, it's just on your body. Or or the props, like I would come off stage and one of the IATSE guys would grab the motorcycle that I had. And again, it wasn't, it wasn't out of anything but no, no, this is my responsibility and I'm super proud to be responsible for it. You just got to, you, Drew, just got to take care of it for X number of moments out on stage. You just get to perform. You get to do your job. Yeah. They have their job. You have your job, right? And they, and everybody's trying to kill it. And every and, and by and by, I would argue almost every time, every night on Broadway, every single element of the show, people are killing. And it's great. Oh, I'm glad yeah, that you gave them props. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I mean, it's a group effort for sure. Yeah, it's all I've always been taught that like when you're performing or the cast or everything is like, you know, pieces of the puzzle, right? I mean, you have to have all those puzzle pieces in place to complete that picture. Absolutely. I mean, imagine look at a film. Everybody talks about why do they why do we give such high props to cinematography? Because it's it's what made it look amazing. But how many people were on the cinematographer's team to help that that person create that perfect moving picture? They need support as well. So there's just lines of teams behind every single aspect that... Yeah, it, I can't wait to have those people yeah. on because then they get a chance to tell their story. So... <laughs> 
that'll be that'll be good to have the behind the scenes aspect of it all. Cause I've had, you know, there's people that we both know that have went from being actors, singers, dancers, whatever, but now are dressers and costumers or wig people on Broadway. So they've made the transition, you know, they've taken a pathway, they've taken their own pathway and stayed in the industry, but now they work backstage and that's their new job. They got off the stage and now they help back. Or directors. Yeah. You directing. Yeah. Yes. Directing now, like yeah. which is which is a lot of fun. And my next my next current endeavor actually is to do a directing gig, which I'm beyond excited about. And um yeah, it's you know good. And where are you doing that at? Here in here in Kansas City. Um actually again full circling the the theater company that I grew ended up growing up doing the the theater camp that I alluded to earlier ended up moving from Wichita to Kansas city. And when I was a kid, I got immersed with them and now they have grown. They've been around so for 30 plus years at this point and they have grown into a, an, an academy, not officially, but they definitely produce and, and help round out a number of, of amazing kids that have gone on to amazing institutions of, of higher learning, uh, Broadway tours, television, et cetera, things like that. But they also, so they're doing kid shows, but they're also doing adult uh, professional shows now. Oh, great. Yeah. My next two projects are actually with them. One is a director and one is an actor. <clears throat> and um, yeah, I get to do this really cool show uh, between Christmas and New Year's with, with like 16 to 18 year old kids and their dynamite and I me and my and my uh, artistic team get to really shape this show we 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 borderline get to create it hmm. and so we just spent the last couple of days in in Vegas looking at a particular show to get some influence and then we hold up in our hotel room uh Wednesday for about eight nine hours and we just storyboarded a show and we should mention that Drew took the red eye I to get back eye. here to do this interview. So I'm, that's I'm much, little, uh, much a appreciated. Little, a little little froggy and a little, a little, little froggy. froggy but, I think when we right. were in Vegas, we went and saw Starlight Express. And I think it was you and I, I and a bunch I of us. And, saw, it wasn't Starlight Express. Didn't we go and see like the second? Maybe uh, you did. I went with a group, group of people and we did Starlight Express. And then I think we rode rides together and did all the other stuff. Okay. That's, I mean... It's it been a minute. Only, it was only two years ago. So it was only a couple of years ago. Yeah. I can't remember yeah. exactly. Yeah. So during all this time, because you really had to beat the pavement in New York and you were, I think I would just call you truly a New York City kid because you kind of just stayed there. Uh, any point in time with this industry, <clears throat> did you become discouraged, frustrated? Did you want to give up, throw in the towel? And how did you handle all that? Because we always talk about the gigs that we got. But what about the rejection that we got as well? Yeah. Um, did I ever want to ever get discouraged? Every day. <laughs> I mean, the reality is, yeah, every day. Um, and everybody else's, everybody's journey is different. Um, Everyone's pathways are different. Yeah. I, I, I think, it, it, and I've got a lot of perspective on it, obviously now. And I, and I wish I could be me mentally now and take myself back and have a completely different obviously a, a approach my my personal challenge was i didn't understand the business slash industry side of i i thought it was all about the art i wanted it to be all about the art i'd still love it to be all about the art but i understand it's a business they you know they want people want to put butts in seats there are people mm -hmm. that are trying to make money and and um so i wish i had had a better understanding of the full picture yeah and 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 i did the the, the two things that i did learn at at the or i took with me at the time were literally to when i got up in the morning to make my bed and I never, that one I learned 
and and I was told to go to an audition and then come home and kick the door and forget about it. That one didn't land as well. I would get a little obsessed about every audition that I went on. This is the one. This is the one. This is the one. You know, but the making your bed thing allowed me to, you know, in New York, you have tiny spaces. And if you have a great audition and you don't get it, or you have a crummy audition and you come home and the dishes are a mess in the sink and your bed's unmade and your place is out of order, it just, it adds to the sort of swirling chaos in your brain, let alone in your life. And so I always learned to come home to at least a made bed. There was something very exhaling about walking into your room and being like, okay, at least my bed's made. That's a new twist I've heard. I've heard many different twists. I mean, I'm off and on. I'm like 80-20 on that. I'm better some days or whatever. It just depends. But I like that twist on it. I've never heard that. And I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And as far as like, I, I don't think I ever wanted to <clears throat> give up. Um, I, I got frustrated. I, I Again, I didn't have knowledge. I didn't understand how many people were actually going out for the role that I was going, that I made. Right. And I think we're all auditioning machines and we forget that everyone's auditioning. Right. And actually to go into that point, one of my really good friends I mean, this this was probably maybe at this point four years ago, he told me that, that he, t- he told me what I'm about to say and it hit me and I went, oh my God, why didn't I know that when I was 24 years old? He goes, oh no, no, you're a professional professional actor. And I go, well, yeah, we, we are. He goes, no, you're not. And I go, thanks, man. What are you talking about? He goes, you're a professional auditioner. Mm. That's your job. Your job is to audition. Yeah. If you get a gig, good for you. That's the little. little It goes back full circle to the art form of auditioning. Right. You are, you are, if you're a professional actor, you are a professional auditioner. I like that. And your, and your craft should be how to audition. And then you should also have in your little quiver of, of, of art, your quiver arsenal is how to expand that when you do get a, a role or some sort of contract and make everything you can do from an audition standpoint elongated, depending on how big the project is, how long it runs, how big your role is. Yeah. And I was right. like, Oh man, I wish I had known that. Cause all I thought I was doing was walking in and trying to nail a small little part of a scene or a song, whatever, because I'm, what I really am is, Billy Bigelow and Carousel. What I really am is Chuck Cranston and Footloose. What I really am is Superman and whatever. You know, that's that's who I'm supposed to be, right? No, no, you're an audition. That's what your that's what your job should be. That's what you how you should think of your job. You should you should craft. You should be the best improv choice making on point vocal, you know, person that you can take some material, turn it in, into gold in this short amount of time. And you should be able to do that day in and day out. And then if you get a gig, then you pause for that for a moment and you expand on what you're doing. And then you eventually your contract's going to end. The right. show's going to close. The commercial's going to wrap. The The film's going to wrap. You're, you don't want to be on the soap and whatever it is, you know, like, and you're going to have to go back and start auditioning again. So. Yeah. So I kind of want to segue into where, what you're doing now and i know that you have some other jobs but i like to say that now we still have another connection because you know you had back pain when you were on tour and i helped you with that with pilates and you know i would teach you core stuff and we were working out together and we were you were kind of one of my first gym buddies i never liked going to the gym so you were one of my first gym buddies but um I find it interesting now that you own a Pilates studio and you're married to a Pilates instructor. I kind of like how that came full circle. Yeah, and it's very interesting. Kind of tell us, tell us about that briefly. Happenstance. Yeah. So, um, my, uh, my, my wife, uh, is a retired professional modern dancer and part of her, her training along the way was 
Pilates and kinesiology and uh, along the way, picking up obviously yoga and functional movement type um, exercises. And as she transitioned out of being a dancer, because unfortunately the shelf life of a dancer is is about that of a a running back in the NFL, right? Like it just, it it doesn't tend to last that long. There, There definitely are some outliers, but as she was transitioning out, she, she really became enamored with a movement of the body anatomy. She had always been doing Pilates and she really found it rewarding to keep people in, in, in good moving health and also help people come back uh, from challenges or injuries or surgeries, things of that nature. So while she lived in New York, her pay the rent gig was to be a personal trainer, um, Pilates instructor, et cetera. And then as we got married and moved out of the city and moved across the country, literally back and, and we've, we've gone back and now, and now forth um, or forth and now back. Uh, one of our stops along the way, we, um, we had a brick and mortar Pilates and yoga studio. And that was our family business. That's, that's what we did. That's what, what she did. Um, and then we moved again and COVID hit as it did for all of us. And she was innovative enough along with many other people to go online with it. And now we have transitioned away from the brick and mortar. We've got uh, an online studio, synthacore.com. Plug um, that again. It's synthacore.com. Yeah. So actually, synthacorestudios.com. Um, and she does online classes. She does online privates. Uh, and then it also frees her up when we vacation. She can still work, which she loves to do. So it's not forced upon her. Um, but also it allows when when we travel that she gets to see some of her clients, especially when she goes back home to visit her 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 father. Part of the time is running around seeing clients, which, as you know very well, mm-hmm. easily become friends as much as they are. Yes, they. You hate calling them. You hate calling them clients anymore because some of them you've had for, you know, some of my clients I've had now for twenty years, eighteen exactly. years, and it's like that's not a client, that's a friend. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's like your hairstylist. You tell them all your secrets, right? All the things. Yeah. Was, yeah. Actually, all I, the I, things. All the things. I have so, argued. That you that you and 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 Michelle should probably go get your psychology degree. So okay, can, and then then you can. Up, I mean, up, we have up. talked about a collaboration. We'll get into that more. And right, we'll still exactly. collaborate on that. Um, so we're going to kind of wrap this up. So, uh, do you have any words of wisdom? Like you've given a lot of wisdom, but what would be your final words of advice mm-hmm. to our listeners? Well, this will this will hop back about a question and a half or so about the discouragement and things like that. Um, so, and and, and we kind of you know you'd sent me some prep notes about what what we would discuss today, and and we we slalomed through and touched on some of them, but you know I, I was fortunate enough to have a support system going into this this crazy arena of, of professional acting or professional performance. Right. And you have your highs and you have your lows. It's a roller coaster. And the thing is, one of the questions that we didn't touch on is, did you ever have a backup backup plan? And my answer is no. And, and, and to double down on that is to say, if you have a backup plan and then don't, don't do the professional thing, performance-wise. Mm-hmm. Do the backup plan first because you can scratch your itch in in multiple ways, depending on what part of the world you live in. You've got local theater, community, or professional. You've got microphones, and you can do a little side gig singing here and there. You can sing, you know at a church or, or, or some, some element of that to get your performance out. But if you're concerned about, am I going to be able to sustain myself throughout a career? Um, 
the, the, the God's honest answer is more than likely no. Mm-hmm. And if you can't deal with that, then that's why you shouldn't do it in the first place. And I'm not saying that the choices that I made are the, are the greatest, but I'm still going after it year after year after year. The pace may have slowed down depending on what part of the world I live in. But the advice is if there's a backup plan, then don't do it on a, on a, on a professional level or a, a constantly professional level. Do the backup plan because like I said, you can scratch the performance itch a lot and you can also maintain some sanity from a fiscal stability standpoint if you're being a veterinarian or something like that, right? Um, I think the people that last in the industry good, bad, and indifferent are the ones that don't have another option. It's mm-hmm. like, well, what else would you do? Nothing. I will do things to survive. Mm-hmm. I will do things to pay the rent and put food on the table, etc. But what do I want to do? What else do I want to do? Nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. maybe yes, I, I want to direct. Maybe yes, I like I that answer a lot. I like that answer a lot. But it's, you made uh, me think about something. You made me have an aha moment. Good. You made me yeah. just have an aha moment. So that was good. I like that. I just appreciate you being on and good to see your face again today. And thank you for getting up early and taking a red eye. And that's amazing. And you've always been a true blue friend. And so I appreciate you, yours in my heart. And I'm going to leave it with uh, what we always leave it with. Remember, pathways are like the path when the sun touches the water. You don't know where it leads or ends, but you never know until you walk that path. Thanks for having me on. I'm really happy for you and excited oh, to see where this goes, man. I'm I'm excited. Thank you for, you know, member to like, share, subscribe, and all that good stuff. And we will see you next week. And thanks everyone for listening to Pathways. Thanks for coming back.